Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, I'm speaking with uh, Deepak, the founder and CEO at Ray. How are you today? Great, thanks Jared for having me on. I'm excited to chat. I, I'd love we kick things off. You just tell the audience a little bit about your background and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so my name is uh, Deepak Gopalakrishna. Um, maybe I'll go a bit chronologically, right? So. Uh, undergrad in, in biology from North Carolina, and then ended up in medical school and doing a PhD in genetics, um, mostly because I wanted to have an impact on people's lives, right? And we'll talk about, uh, we'll connect those dots to what I'm doing right now, I'm sure at some point in, in the podcast. Uh, but uh, did that, started a biotech company, um, had a small exit there, ended up in venture capital for a few years, um, did another uh, tech startup, this time in uh, San Francisco, and um, uh, ended up not having, not getting product market fit, which is actually my first exposure to that term. Um, and uh, ended up pivoting that to a consulting business, um, after which I actually met the folks at BCG, um, who uh, were just getting started on a venture studio and a venture capital fund model. Um, joined that, uh, was one of the early employees there back in late 2013, early 2014. Um, and took sort of uh, founder, uh, CEO type roles in a number of uh, the portfolio companies there. And uh, did that for about, what, seven years or so. Uh, left in late 2019, 2020, and started doing a bit of uh, product market fit consulting because in the interim, um, you know, did, did a ton of work uh, on that space, kind of wrote a playbook on how to get to product market fit. Um, lots of iterations on, uh, on doing that and lots of learnings in market um, and started working with venture firms uh, with their portfolio companies and uh, which is kind of how I got to where I am today. But uh, yeah, keen to dive into that. Uh, let me know which, uh, which topics make the most sense. Yeah, we'll have to give a quick shout out to Plume Health, who uh, you're an advisor of, of that company. And uh, we had one of their founders on the podcast back in the I think episode 67 in the, in the 60s which was uh back in October so um we'll, we'll put a link to that too so people can check out that podcast after this as well but yeah I'm, I'm excited for us to chat I what I usually do with guests is we'll go through if you give us the basically the the why how what of your company Ray that you're working on now and then you and I have a couple topics uh centered around access to care quality of care that we want to go through today uh, then we'll shift focus to those after we kind of give that get that why how what from you. Yeah, no, sounds great. Um, I think uh, going back to sort of why I went to medical school in the first place, right? I um, born in the eighties, uh, so I guess it technically makes me a millennial, uh, but very very late. Or a vampire because <laughs> you don't look like you were born in the eighties. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, man, it's just good genetics. Um, uh, nothing else really. Uh, but yeah, uh, so born in the 80s, uh, you know, when I was born, um, my grandmother at that point, my mom's mom, um, I used to, uh, all I experienced with her growing up was, you know, six months of the year, she would be in bed um, and she wouldn't get up and uh, she would have all her meals in her room, which I, you know, uh, for me was, was strange. Uh, eventually, when I got to meet other, you know, my friends, parents and grandparents, uh, and then the other half of the year, she would be pretty, pretty violent. Um, and I didn't, we didn't talk about mental health. Uh, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. It's pretty taboo, right? I grew up uh, the early part of my life in India. Um, so there's still a lot of stigma there, even now. Uh, I think that's changing in, in the US and in, in a lot, lot of parts of the world. But uh, 
Yeah, that was my first exposure. And, um, you know, what I found out later is that she was the top of her med school class. She was a doctor in 1950s India, like breaking all kinds of glass ceilings before, you know, we even talked about glass ceilings, uh, but was diagnosed with uh, mental health issues uh, later on in her life and uh, um, treated with heavy doses of lithium, electroshock therapy, all kinds of barbaric treatments that, um, you know, and over medication that uh, you know, a lot of ways continues to the day till today, right? Uh, we still don't have the kind of precision tools. We still don't use high quality psychological therapies. And uh, that's what actually want, made me want to go to medical school in the first place. Uh, I wanted to change the way we deliver care. I wanted to, uh, you know, impact sort of the structural issues that existed in, in care delivery. Um, so I've always had this like goal of impacting about 10 million people's health outcomes and lives for the things that I do and the things that I bring to market. Um, and that's what that's been the sort of the vein throughout um, all of the things that I've chosen to do over time. Uh, so it's always been in healthcare. Uh, it's uh, whether it's a biotech company or a consumer health company. Uh, I even did stuff in, in the crypto space, uh, which were still tangentially related to healthcare and identity and data ownership. Um, so that's always been, um, you know, the vein that has uh, stood the test of time. Um, so when the opportunity to work on this rolled around, I met uh, Daniel Freeman um, and the Oxford VR team probably back in uh, early 2020, and I saw what they had, uh, which was um, real clinical data on technology that could actually deliver care to people with psychosis, phobias, PTSD, anxiety, and um, the clinical data was astounding, right? I'd spent ages looking at uh, digital health and uh, digital health tools and digital therapeutics. And I just hadn't seen the kind of clinical validation um, with the kind of rigor that I saw uh, with, uh, with what uh, Daniel had, had built, which was essentially, let's take the best minds in the world um, at psychological therapies, let's say psychosis or PTSD, and let's download that into virtual reality environments to create what we now call in the moment therapy, right? Which is getting treatment for fear of heights or getting treatment for social phobias should not be done in a room or in a Zoom room. In fact, it should be done on a bridge or in a lift or in a crowded uh, bus or in a doctor's office, right? And unfortunately, we just don't have uh, sort of economically feasible ways to do that. Like we can't just send therapists to along with people for a whole day to do this trip and do that repeatedly once a week, right? So what Daniel had bit was a, built was a way to take the best minds in the world at doing this and put it into those environments and be able to give people access to that kind of high quality care. Um, that's what got me really excited, which then allowed me to sort of really wrap my head around what does it mean to go from where we are today, which is what I term as sort of mental health 2.0, which is we've gone from physical rooms to doing you know, treatment in Zoom rooms, kind of like you, you and I are, to what, is, what does it mean to sort of really sort of create network effects and leverage for high quality therapists and give people access to high quality therapists in the moment that they need it, but also where they need it, right? And that kind of creation of scale is what we need because we could train four times the number of therapists tomorrow, we still wouldn't be able to meet the demand. And sort of newly minted therapists are unlikely to uh, unlikely that they're going to be able to deal with the complex cases at a complete load as well. So you're gonna drive burnout. So for us, it's the, the name of the game is creating um, access to high quality 
at scale and being able to do that in a in the moment in the environment to get people to outcomes faster and that's what we've been able to show and publish in the lancet and nature and british journal of psychiatry so that's kind of the the genesis story uh of sort of you know where where i came from what made me sort of do this and uh in all honesty sort of what i see as the biggest opportunity for us to solve some real big problems uh in the delivery of mental health Appreciate that uh, that background on on uh, the you know the companies that you're working on and what you're building and and why you decided to really focus in on mental health. I, I want to kind of shift focus, but we're still going to talk about mental health. And you brought this up a little bit, right? But let's talk a, a little more about it. It you you and I were talking about this earlier the uh, before the call the evolution of mental health, right? And what does 3.0 look like? Can you I guess quickly take us through uh, how mental health has evolved and what what is 3.0 uh, mental health today? Yeah, I think the the, the most um, sort of simple way of thinking about it is we all had to drive a, in order to get uh, mental health care. Uh, we all had to sort of show up at a psychiatrist's office or a psychologist's office. We had to drive there. We had to park. We had to go in. Uh, people would see us going in. There's big stigmas associated with that, right? So that was 1.0. You go to a physical building, you walk into a room, you see a psychiatrist, you see a psychologist, you get treatment for 40 minute session, it's talk therapy, right? That's the only modality that was available. So to fast forward to 2.0, which is kind of the world that we live in today, right? Which is um, you do that same thing, except you're not driving to an office. You can do it from the privacy of your own home. So maybe some of that stigma is gone, but you also have access to therapists in Zoom rooms. Um, so that's great, but the modalities are still talk therapy. And fundamentally, the economics are still the same, right? Uh, you still spend an hour or 40 minutes, really, uh, with a therapist, and then you do that once a week. And then the therapist spends the rest of the hour doing documentation, et cetera. To me, 3.0 is solving some of the core problems. So uh, by 2.0 solves some access problems, right? In, in, in that, it gives us a broader pool of therapists to access who maybe don't live within 20 miles of you. But access isn't necessarily the only problem. In fact, I actually think that's half the problem. It's about access to quality and, and, and sort of being able to do that in a way that truly scales the quality supply or the quality therapist that we have to be able to see that demand. So to me, 3.0 is how do you use technology that can actually deliver outcomes by itself or decrease the cost side. And what I mean by decreasing the cost side is the biggest sort of piece on the cost side is human cost, right? It's therapist cost. So how do you scale a therapist to being able to see a lot more patients or impact the outcomes of a lot more patients? And it isn't going to come from text messages in Zoom, right? I mean, these are good tools that maybe increase access, give us some additional communication, but there's no health economics data to show that it actually moves the needle. So to me, what that looks like is a fundamentally different sort of technology chassis of uh, digital therapeutics that can actually deliver outcomes by themselves. And where you think about it in the same way we think about human computer augmentation in other worlds, right? So the role of the therapist actually change, right? So the, the protocols change. So human beings do what human beings are particularly good at, right? Which is empathy, building trust. And that trust is super important in therapy because that's, that's what has an individual commit to doing, doing that care. 
so it's empathy, it's trust creation, building the care plan, and potentially dosing and titrating. But in the, on the back end, you have the ability for people to access care through therapeutics, digital therapeutics, like virtual reality or other web and mobile-based tools, which have been proven to actually deliver those outcomes by themselves, right? And then that human computer augmentation allows that high quality therapist to be able to see a lot more people. So when we're talking about network effects, that's what we're talking about. And that to me is the big step change that is going to be needed because there's no way we're gonna scale the supply side to meet the demand. Uh, we could, you know, forex it overnight. And honestly, that's probably a pretty bad idea because you don't want people directly out of school seeing sort of complex cases that are full load that just leads to burnout. So how do you decrease burnout? How do you improve outcomes? How do you, how do you scale that high quality therapist and how do you use technology to do that? And I think the missing component in all of this has been the technology, right? We've had text messaging, great. We've had Zoom, great. But where is the technology that can truly deliver outcomes that has been proven to do that? And I think that missing component is what I found when I started to talk to Daniel. Um, and the virtual reality phobias and fear of heights and fear of public speaking, um, the ones for psychosis and social avoidance, I mean, the, the data on that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, what you do is you, you compare that, just delivering the care fully automated in a headset to someone to, uh, to control. And you see that you can get people better in as little as two weeks, uh, about four weeks without any actual human time. And that to me is the big unlock that allows us to move to 3.0. Thank you for that, appreciate it. I, I want to, um, we're, we're coming up on time here. So I want to get through a, a few more things that we wanted to just talk about and really focus in on, um, you know, how, how Ray's solving a supply side problem. And then we can kind of wrap it up with, uh, you and I talked about this again, is access to care really the problem? And, you know, what, what's the bigger problem here? The quality of care is the bigger problem. So uh, if we can kind of tie those three things uh, I guess, together as best as we can. Um, be much appreciated and uh, go from there, but I'm excited to hear your responses. Yeah, no, man. Uh, look, I, I think you're, you're absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think we focus on access as the problem and actually had an interesting conversation with Tom Insull the other day um, where we both talked about this. And it's like, it's, you're only saying half the, you're only saying half the sentence uh, really because it's access to quality that is the problem that we need to solve. Because if you think about value in healthcare, it's you're either delivering better outcomes or at same cost, or you're delivering the same outcomes at lower cost. And the only way to do that is by giving people access to high quality care, right? Um, and either you get there faster by getting access to the same people, or you take those high quality people and you scale them to see more patients and sort of you reduce the cost side. So uh, to me, that's the problem. And that actually dovetails into how we think about the supply side problem, because it the, sol the solution there cannot be, let's go find sort of newly minted graduates and just put 30, 40, you know, 30, 35 sessions through them, right? Um, the way I think about that is like, if you and I, when we just finished like uh, our bachelors, we're trying to do the jobs that we're doing now, we would not be very good at it. And in fact, I, I would imagine that we would probably fail pretty, 
spectacularly at it, right? And it's just absolute madness to imagine that you can take people directly who are graduating from a program and give them those kind of full complex loads and actually expect good quality outcomes. So to us, it is, let's go find folks who are at the top of their sort of game and allow them to practice at the top of their license. And the way we allow them to practice at their top of the license is by utilizing these types of uh, uh, clinically validated technologies that can deliver care and sort of shift the role of the human and deliver that human computer augmented sort of care delivery. But um, so not only do we only focus on people who you know have spent the time and have uh, gained that experience and have really be become sort of experts in their field, but we also figure out ways to not try to utilize them at 80%, 90% of their capacity, which is what is happening right now. We ratchet that back. And by doing that, we actually solve for another major problem in the space, which is provider burnout as well, right? Uh, in addition to that, we're actually looking to partner with folks who already have very successful clinics and very successful uh, primary practices, uh, rather than try to go down the um, individual sort of contractor route. So when you put all of that together, we're able to get a high quality supply side um, that then delivers good quality outcomes, right? Because for us, the, the name of the game isn't volume. Um, it's actually good outcomes and good value. Well, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm really excited to continue to follow the progress of the, the, the companies that you're working on and, and your background. Hopefully we can have you come on again real soon. You and I also talked about doing some some group podcasts together with other guests that have been, uh, maybe maybe it's even Matthew from, from Plume, right? We get him on and you guys can talk together, but I'm excited to continue the conversation. It's great to have connected with you and uh, wish you all the best of uh, success. Likewise, Jared. Um... Love you to chat and happy to come back on in time, especially with Matt. Thanks. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, you can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.